Welcome to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that is different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We're also brought to you by Aria Benefits. We help visionary business leaders to grow their companies through attracting and retaining top talent. Happy Friday. Happy Podcast Friday, everyone. I am your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host and fantastic business partner, Al McDonald. Al, going into the long weekend, what do you say? Well, happy podcast Friday to you too, and looking forward to the long weekend. First one of the summer, so to speak. So uh, it's supposed to be nice and we can all use a, a break. So looking forward to it. Nice break for everyone. And hopefully everyone uh, gets out and enjoys the weather and has a fantastic time. Well, we are wrapping up our podcast Friday with, I think, one of my favorite guests and one of my favorite storytellers, because he told such a fantastic story last time, and I've had so much commentary from the industry. But returning to the show is our friend, Bill Wallace, along with a new guest, Richard Landy. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, I know you are both really well known and respected in the transportation industry, but maybe we can start just for the audience uh, behalf or their, you know, so they can hear a little bit. Maybe start with some quick introductions. Okay, I'll start off. It's uh, Bill Wallace, better known as William Wallace or Braveheart in the industry, having a brave heart <laughs> in the transportation industry. 45 years in our beautiful transportation industry, so I've seen a lot of things change, mostly in the last 15 to 20 years in the food transportation industry. So we have a lot to chat about, about the changes in uh, transportation today. So I'm looking forward to it. And I'm Richard. I'm a lawyer, a member of the Ontario and the Quebec bars. I've been a uh, lawyer for 45 years also, and my practice is exclusively transportation. So it could be rail or intermodal or trucking or warehousing or sometimes, you know, combinations of freight forwarders and and so forth. So I, I practice here in Burlington, Ontario, and I've known Bill for so many years and very happy to be sharing this podcast with him. I might add that, uh, Richard, I believe you've written a few books too, have you? So I've written nine books on transport law and a tenth one coming out called Transportation Law in Canada. And if any of the listeners are having difficulty sleeping at night. (laughs) Well, we wanted to talk transportation here. And I think I'm pretty sure we've got the right people in the room to talk about it. So, Bill, I mean, you, you already brought it up. I mean, even in the last couple of years going through the pandemic, but maybe even let's go from five years ago. What do you see as the major differences in transportation companies now versus then? Hmm. Major difference. Let's go back five years ago. You could see it coming. Technology involved in transportation, the e-logs, the electronic logs in the United States are now becoming popular in Canada. So technology is the big 
change that we've had, but close to it is the ability to retain staff, having new people join the transportation industry. Everyone, I think, outside the transportation industry and their son wants to, you know, I want to get into transportation. They say, well, you don't want to be a truck driver. There's a lot more to it than truck drivers. So that's changed quite a bit too, is the actual face of uh, transportation. And then probably in the last five years is the uh, regulatory bodies, the hours of operation, the rules behind our our industry. And uh, when it comes to rules and regulations and all the rest, uh, Richard probably has the, the best handle on this and could probably have a comment about you know, what has changed in five years in the laws in transportation? I see it from the hours of operation, mostly. But just a real quick comment about the other two uh, items, and or at least the main one, and that's the, the technology. There are a lot of uh, young people who are entering into the computer systems and taking courses at different colleges and so on, and are coming out well prepared uh, to assist the transportation industry in our movements into, we'll call it paperless, but it's really not a paperless industry. So that is a big change. I can remember when I started more than five years ago, we would type our bills on a typewriter and the bills were actually on a, a continuous flow and they ended up on the floor. And then after you finished all the bills, you tore them all apart and all the rest of it. I wish somebody could see that happening. Whereas today, everything is done electronically. Just fill in the blanks, push a button, and everyone has what they have to have immediately, especially in cross-border operations. Probably one of the other big issues that we have to tackle maybe later on is the issue of cross-border operations and uh, what's been going on there uh, with just the electronic ability to clear freight before it even gets to the border. But that's another subject for another time. So maybe I can hand it off to Richard, who's kept me out of jail for many years in transportation. And just maybe a thought on the laws that have changed for hours of operation, if you can highlight that. Yeah. So to Bill's point, I think most people would recognize that over the past five or 10 years, there's been an infusion of new trucking companies in Canada. And you can see that just by driving on the highway, because the names on the trucks are oftentimes different. When Bill and I started out, there were a few regulated mammoth trucking companies that had their regulatory permission to go between various points and with some, you know, certain commodities. And that's all changed now. The deregulation of trucking has kind of reached a zenith so that anyone can, you know, get a truck and insurance and, and then drive. That has meant that the competition for price has become much more active. And I think what I've learned is that there may be a certain number of new carriers that are out there and they're not necessarily that experienced, but they certainly have low prices. But ultimately, the best-in-class shippers, manufacturers, they will shy away from that group only because they may not have the knowledge or the experience or the insurance to cover some catastrophic loss. So to Bill's point on technology, he's 100% right. And, but there is, I think, also an aspect to technology which may not work for transportation. And that is that there was a time, and still is to a certain extent today, when larger companies say, well, look, you know, this is really like a commodity. 
this transportation. And so what we'll do is we'll just have a, an auction. So we'll just go out to the market and we'll have uh, what they call a reverse auction. In other words, whoever is the lowest bidder would be selected. But it doesn't really work, in my experience, for transportation because transportation involves a number of things that you can't necessarily just view on a price sheet. It has, firstly, that experience. Secondly, you know, the reliability factor. And thirdly, what may transpire is that if you're doing it as an auction on a board, you'll find that the carriers that you choose in one lane may not necessarily have the reverse direction or they may not be the same ones for a region. And it doesn't make sense for manufacturers to be hiring 55 carriers when they could in fact have just a handful of reliable carriers that would cover their requirements. So the other thing which Bill mentioned was, of course, the differences in laws between Canada and the United States. Oftentimes, for example, a very big difference is that if any goods are damaged and they originate from the United States, then one is able to require the carrier to pay the full value of the goods. Whereas if they originate in Canada, uh, you're only required, or at least the carriers are only required, unless there's a contract, to pay $2 per pound. And this is an enormous difference. So yes. uh, yep. one has to be very attentive yeah. with regards to the laws. It was recently last week, just a poultry load that actually was worth $280,000. But if you were to use the weight and multiply by $2 per pound, it's only $60,000. Not to interrupt you, Richard, but I'd really like to highlight that because when we're talking about in the last five years or 10 years, the changes in the laws of the bill of lading and so on are a big point. And, you know, technology is there. You can quickly pick a carrier. You can quickly have that carrier at your door. But when you really look behind the scenes, are they knowledgeable enough of the, you know, the Carmichael laws or, or the mercantile law here in Canada to know the difference between the two? You kind of went through it very quickly, but it does matter if you are crossing the border or if you're shipping from Toronto to Western Canada as to what the liability is of a carrier. It could be a whole new podcast on itself to talk about that, but there's so many shippers out there lack the knowledge and the consonies too of the fact that what really has changed in our industry along with the technology makes it quick, fast, and easy but it also hides the actual legalities behind uh, shipping today. There's uh, not enough knowledge of what goes on behind the scenes. And, and that's what I took from your two comments uh, regarding the cross-border and the um, domestic. Well, this, this is exactly why I wanted to have you both on, because you're coming from different angles. And I think having the both of you on really gives us a full picture of the challenges that this industry is facing. It does, because too many claims end up in a really bad legal battle because the shipper quickly picked a random, we'll call it random for a moment, an unknown, better, better comment, unknown carrier, and really look into the liability. You know, he's shipping a load of, as we said, chicken uh, for $280,000, thinking that if something happens, he's covered, but it doesn't work that way. There's uh, several ways to protect yourself as a shipper. I'll say there are two ways of doing it. And one is by contract. And the other one is by placing on the bill of lading the actual declared value. 
regardless if you're shipping from the United States or from Canada to the United States or from Ontario to Vancouver, there should be a way that you know the carrier, what he's going to cover you if things go wrong, and that he allows you to declare the value on the bill of lading. And to that point, it, you know, we're talking about trucking right now with the $2 per pound as kind of the statutory limitations in Canada. But it applies also to, for example, marine, where you have the Hague-Visby rules and they talk about standard drawing rights, which again, it's, it's a very low value. Or even if it's an air cargo, it's the Montreal Protocol. And again, it's a very small number of SDRs, of, of standard drawing rights. You have to make sure that if you are going to be moving products around the world or Canada or from North America, you just have to be sure that you're protected in the case of loss. And also many manufacturers are concerned naturally that their products will wind up being sold to a third party when they're damaged. For example, the car companies do not want to have a second-hand or damaged automotive vehicle being sold and somehow something goes wrong and then, of course, it has their name right on the, on the VIN. You so, can see how these two topics can be a whole podcast in itself, though, just talking about the legalities that have changed in five years. And we can move on by saying, so you're a shipper or a consignee. And I might just double back for a moment. I think that international shippers and containers and operations on a global basis are really defined very well by the Ocean Bill of Lading and by the Ocean Freight Forwarders. They know the rules and regulations and insurance and stuff like that. Where the shipping public is, is getting hit the hardest, by opinion, and probably Richard's too, is the uh, local uh, shipping domestically or cross-border between Canada and the United States. It probably, you know, to end the, that topic, uh, should be the fact that the education of the shipper and a consignee, all the stakeholders, it, it's got to be brought up to a square because the, the rules have changed for our game. That's for sure. You talked a little about some of the uh, challenges facing the public, but I, did you want to get into a little bit about contracts? I think you wanted to talk about whether or not contracts are a good idea. Bill, maybe I'll start with you. Contracts, very touchy situation. Sometimes I change the name of it to Memorandum of Understanding. <laughs> it sometimes is more palatable. It is difficult because, you know, you have to look at what are the pitfalls when choosing a transportation company? What should you be looking for? And I think it's a partnership that has to start out because you're not going to find a carrier that answers your electronic posting of a load from here to Vancouver who's going to sign a contract. And I'm going to just pause there for a moment because that's uh, something that uh, is near and dear to Richard's heart. And it has to be something that's going to be elaborated on. But when you're choosing a carrier, it should be a partnership and it should not be just uh, answering an electronic posting okay, he's got a truck, he's going to take it. Did you get his insurance? Do you have his, his operating authority? Do you have his safety certificate? You know, there's so many things that the shipper will not look at. They'll just say he can cover the load, give it to him, and away we go. The contract goes with the partnership. So once you have a partnership with a carrier, then you move into an agreement, memorandum of understanding between the two companies that fulfill all the rules and regulations being in the Carmichael or the mercantile laws within our country that protect you from loss and damage. And let me tell you, during COVID, and then I'm going to hand it over to Richard to, uh, to talk about the contract. During COVID, the number of loads of food that were hijacked disappeared completely, was outstanding. 
I mean, you would not believe the numbers of loads that were actually hijacked because it was a hot commodity, food. It's something that has to be looked at and taken care of. But as far as contract goes from my side of it, the only way you're going to have a contract with a carrier is if there's a commitment on both sides of the table that he's your carrier. And then the contract has to be dealt with or the memorandum of understanding because lots of people don't like the word contract. Richard, you're the lawyer who's kept us out of, out of trouble. Go ahead. I think Bill's right here. The evolution of the marketplace has been that manufacturers, distributors understand that the carriers need to make a profit. And if you try to cut corners, something is going to backfire if it goes wrong. So you need carriers that, and this would go into a contract, of course, you know, with relatively new equipment that would have a high safety rating and would have a higher level of insurance, something like $5 million per occurrence uh, for automobile insurance, as opposed to what in previous years would have been the standard, which would have been say 2 million. If a truck hits a passenger car in Ontario, it doesn't have to be in California where there's a big plaintiff's bar, there will be a multi-million dollar lawsuit. So any agreement has to have some basic protections and really for both parties, like who's going to pay the workers' compensation (laughs) and what happens if it's not paid? And um, what about indemnification? After all, a shipper or the destination receiver who is called a consignee, they're on the bill of lading. And in the event there's something that goes wrong with that shipment, then they are going to be implicated in, in a lawsuit irrespective of the terms of sale, incidentally. So the INCO terms are not going to help in terms of protecting one party. So both parties have to understand, look, if you're hiring, for example, a carrier and the carrier double brokers the load, which is the carrier gives the load to another carrier, even though you didn't know about it, then what happens with that final delivery carrier, if something goes wrong, is that the insurance company is not going to cover the first carrier. And so there has to be language which prevents this kind of double brokering and talks about the obligations of insurance and of safety ratings and uh, make sure, among other things, that the carriers who are being used are who they say they are so that they have the requisite credentials and, and they have a safety manual which gives them training in loading and, and defensive driving and so forth. So. It's not, as you can see, a contract must be comprehensive enough to foresee what could go wrong. And that's quite a bit different than it was five, 10 years ago when nobody had a contract with any carrier. You know, you picked a carrier and they moved your freight and that was about it. But things have changed in the world uh, of litigation and responsibility. And the shipper and the consignee too have to educate themselves as to what the liability is. And, you know, as Richard just said, the shipper, the consignee, or the receiver are on a legal document, their name, address, telephone numbers, all the rest of them is there. And when things go bad, when the driver takes out a school bus, let's say, God forbid, worst case scenario, everyone who is on that bill of lading is going to get tapped on the shoulder. 
And that's why one of the things we wanted to talk about was the selection of, of carriers for the shipper and also for the consignee. And that basically one of the things they have to look at is not just picking a carrier, but picking a relationship with the carrier. It has indeed changed over the years. I think when Bill and I started out, I, I remember one particular instance where I was at a large company and I asked them uh, which railway they used, which Canadian railway they used. <laughs> And uh, they said, oh, whichever one it was. And I said, oh, that's great. I, I, you know, do they provide better service? And he said, no, no. When you get invited by this company to the hockey game, instead of putting you up in their box, they bring you right down to the front seats. And that was a million dollars that was being spent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's so funny. So I think we've reached yeah. a stage now where we're much more attuned to the substance in the food industry, I don't have one client that we haven't signed an agreement of protocol that specifically states that we cannot entertain or offer a gift or even buy a lunch for any of their staff members. And failing uh, that found to be done, our, our agreement will be null and void. So they're very stringent about it. These days, for example, cybersecurity is a large uh, topic. So that you want yep. to know when you're choosing your carrier, what do they have in place with regards to driver fatigue? How are they trying to grapple with it? And what kinds of pollution or environmental standards does the carrier have? So we've gone into a higher level. But you'd have to agree, Richard, that with cost cutting and COVID and the capacity that we have with drivers not wanting to cross the border, the, the pickings become uh, pretty slim. And a lot of what we're talking about kind of gets thrown out the window when you've got five loads to move from the United States to Canada. Yeah. So we're, we're becoming more and more vulnerable by the fact that capacity is down and uh, we're in trouble with the, the crossing of the borders with drivers that are not vaccinated and so on and so forth. So sometimes we're being negligent. And I think the whole discussion today should be awakening of let's not be negligent. Uh, let's be aware that this, this can come up and bite you pretty quickly. You know, Bill, that's the great uh, segue into my next question. Maybe let's talk about what are the best practices for distributors to adopt out there? There's probably a long list of them. and I'll, I'll try to keep them down to the ones that we use when we're going to be hiring a transport company to assist us in our business in the, in the food industry is know who you're talking to, know who you're going to do business with. You wouldn't hand out a load worth a quarter of a million dollars to someone you, you have no idea who they are or how long they've been in business or how financially stable they are. This is important. So I think that the, the first protocols, if you want to look at it from a protocol point of view, would be to not just simply pick them randomly from um, a load desk, if one might call it, or, or how we post the loads. Know that person face-to-face. -face. If they can't see you, either on a video conference or in person, then we've got a problem with that. Make sure that you get all their documentation. That includes a list that I'm sure Richard will dwell on, but all of their documentation and check it. Check it, check it, check it. I have a list of insurance policies that I've seen come to my desk for review. And when you call the insurance company, they've never heard of the carrier. How quickly can you get stabbed in the back? And this goes on all the time. So if you don't know the carrier, if you're not on their certificate of insurance, if you don't see their growth pattern, you're growing. Are they growing with you? Right. And are they best practices? Where's their safety certificate and so on? But the big 
point that I'm trying to make, and then I'll hand it over to Richard for his comment, is know who you are dealing with. If it was your money that you're handing over to someone to do renovations on your house for a quarter of a million dollars, because that's your product value, would you just pick them out of the phone book or would you ask for a reference, right? And Richard, what do you say about what documents they should have before they actually talk to a, or use a, a carrier? So indeed, there are some certifications like ISO certifications, which are helpful. There's the smart way, what we call FAST and PIPs. And so that gives an indication that, you know, they have been externally inspected, especially with regards to food products or chemical products and so forth. I would say that in terms of best practices, what is important as you're, you know, looking at a carrier, you might want to see, for example, their driver retention rate. That's a, a very good indicator of what kind of organization they are. Also, what their metrics are, like their KPIs. So, you know, how are they responding to fuel reduction strategies? There are now so many technologies that will measure the amount of idling that a, a carrier does, whether they have hard brakes, whether they are going above the speed limit, uh, even though there's many speed limiters, but still how um, you can monitor this and to see if the company is actually doing it. The best-in-class manufacturers will say, look, we want you to be 98% on time. We want you to have uh, less than 1% of billing errors. We want you to have claims that are less than 1% or 2%. In other words, there's a monitoring that goes on for best practices. And even if you have many carriers, generally speaking, a manufacturer will put 80% of their volume with 20% of their carriers. So those 20 select reliable carriers, they really need to show on an annual basis that they, they can perform reliably and also include the insurance broker. In other words, the whoever is looking at a contract, they need to show it to their insurance broker because sometimes it could be that the, the carrier is not, there's an exception uh, in the event they yep. carry seafood. As a really good lawyer told me one time, not too long ago, if it's not in writing, it never happened, right? I, I have an idea. I know who that lawyer is somehow. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, you've opened up a world that I didn't know existed. I had never heard of food being you know, hijacked. And maybe I'm just naive to that. And you guys have spent a lot of experience in that. So this has been eye-opening for me. We gave you a heads up at the beginning of the podcast before we started to record, but Al had come up with a signature question. And I think it's a really great question and I've loved hearing the answers. And if you guys are up for it, we'd love to pose that question to you and just hear what your thoughts are. Yeah. So I'll ask that to both of you, but I'm sure you'll both come up with your own answers. So the question is this, there's a saying that goes, a society grows great when old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. So can you talk a little bit about some of those proverbial trees that you're planting and who it might benefit down the road other than yourselves? Do the gray hair guy go first or what? You go ahead, Bill. Actually, as soon as you asked that question earlier, and I thank you for setting us up for it, the only thing I can think of, to be honest with you, and I try to do it from my soul, is I, I plant the tree of knowledge. Because as I look forward to retirement one day, I'm hoping and praying that the knowledge that I can give to the people that are around me in transportation, 
is what I'm, I'm planting right now is the tree of knowledge. So I will make it short and sweet. I'm planting a tree of knowledge. In my case, you know, it's a very good question. And I, I think if I look back when I was just a junior lawyer starting out and think of the people who have impacted me, who may not be around today, I think what I would mention is that when you see in one's practice kindness and empathy and sincerity and in one's attitude toward others, when someone does something wrong, if you, instead of being sarcastic, the person would say, well, look, you know, you made a mistake. Okay, so fine. We all make mistakes and let's move on. I think those are the lasting values that one can leave. So in the interactions that I would have, I would try, if people were to remember me, they would say, well, look, you know, he wasn't a shouter. <laughs> I never heard him say a swear word. <laughs> I never thought that he was mean-spirited. In other words, like, do no harm. Try to do no harm. Empathy. The tree of empathy is planted. I love those answers. Al, did you have anything else before I wrap I was up? Just, no, I was just going to say both great answers. Different perspective from each of you, but that's much appreciated, guys. Yeah, I really love that. Well, guys, I wish we didn't really have our time limit because, again, we do try to keep these episodes snackable for our audience. I just see maybe an opportunity in the future for us to sit down together and, and chat further because, Bill, we've gotten to know you. You've become a friend of the show and, of course, a friend of ours. And Richard, uh, certainly been great getting to know you. So I want to thank you again for joining us today, sharing your journey and your stories. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what we chatted about here today? In my case, if you wanted to look up, if you had a question, you know, involving transport law, just look up my website, which is called Landy Law. So L-A-N-D-E-L-A-W, and then you can get in touch with me. Perfect. The simplest way to get a hold of me is not to go to Tim Hortons Donuts shop. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that is the simplest way, but we won't, we won't comment. It's bwallace at rootstransport.com. Wonderful. All right. That does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. As always, I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues, my friends. And remember, it all starts with one. Mm -hmm.